Good morning. This, this has been an eventful day already. I'll tell you about it here in a second. But uh, uh, <laughs> um, I'm thankful you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're in Ezra. Um, but today I'm going to do something a little different than what I have normally normally do. I've asked, uh, uh, I've come up just a little bit early today because I, before we jump into our text, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, our church. You know, God's called us to be the church. And, and remember Matthew 6, 16, 16, Matthew, Matthew 16, um, Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi at the gates of hell. That, that's where, that was a location in Caesarea Philippi. And he went there to make the announcement that I'm going to start my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And that's what we're doing here. That's what God has done. And since that time, God began to mobilize those disciples, and they, and they went to start the church. And now, here we are in 2021, and the church is global, and the church is thriving in, in literally every political environment all over the world. And it's phenomenal, and we get to be a part of that. Now, we're not the only church in Owasso that stands on the Bible, or in Tulsa that stands on the Bible, but, but we're one of them. And, and the Bible says that, that the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Now, um, I do want to look at Ezra 7.10 because it's, we've been trying to memorize that. Remember, you know, we, that's been a push. And, and if you're um, new today, w- one of the things that, that, that is a value of ours is to know the Word of God. And, and, and we're practicing. In this, the last few weeks, we've been uh, working on memorizing together Ezra 7.10 because that that verse, Ezra 7.10, is kind of the crux of the book. So let's practice it. Are you ready? Uh, let, let, if you've been here with us, you, you may have this down by now. So let's stand together and uh, let's look at Ezra 7.10. Now remember when we're memorizing, it's a good practice to, pr- to do the reference, the verse, and the reference because that allows us to remember where it's found. It's always better not to just say, hey, it says in the Bible somewhere, but be able to say in Ezra 7.10. It says this. And so, so let's, let's practice it. Are you ready? Here we go. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7.10. One more time. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his rules, statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7.10. I always mix those up, but this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Praise be to God. Thank you. Memorizing's hard, uh, so we've got to work on it. Now, now, even though today we're going to be in Ezra 8, if I could just take a few minutes to just talk church with you, okay? I want to talk church. You know, um, we, had a, we had a meeting last Sunday night called Family Matters. And I would, if you're, if God's called you to be a part of this body, I want to challenge you to come to those. Now, that's when we really talk a lot about our business, but I haven't done this in probably a couple of years, taking this much time to talk just church on a Sunday morning. But, but I want to do that. Um, so I want to deviate a little bit from Ezra 8, and we'll get there, okay? So, but, I, but I've asked Joe for a little extra time. But, um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about what's happening in front of us. That there, there are some major cultural shifts that are going on. And if you would have told me when I came here in, in 2012 
that I would see in my, this quickly, in nine years, I would see the cultural shifts that I've seen. I would have thought, man, there's no way. There's no way our culture would deviate this quickly um, from, you know, all kinds of things. Like morality, for example. There's some moral shifts in our culture. I mean, I mean, culture in, is interesting because we have, we're, we're getting more and more pressure from culture saying, hey, you need to update your Bibles. You need, to, you need to get with this. Get with the modern day, right? And those moral pushes. I mean, uh, it's interesting as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind uh, because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And, and we've understood that as we know the word of God, that's how we can understand God's plan, God's will. So these, these cultural pressures, these moral pressures, we are compelled to say, you know, it's not going to work for us. We, we follow what the Bible says. Then you combine that with the political tensions that are going on in our world. Oh, my goodness. I've never seen it like this. I mean, there's always been squabbles, right? But I've never seen such political tension in all of my life. And it's been uh, interesting and challenging. And, and, and if you would have told me, again, in, in 2012 when I came here, we would be this divided as, an, as a country and there would be this much pressure even facing our churches, I'd probably go, I don't think it'll be that bad. But, it's, but it is. It's pretty challenging as we navigate it. But here's the, here's the reality. God, God's at work. God's at work in our world. God's at work in our church. Even let, let's, let's, let's have the book of Ezra in our mind because Ezra is facing massive cultural challenges and political challenges and, and you know, religious challenges, and it's crazy. But, but, but there, there's one thing I want to talk to you about today. And, and if you're a guest today, I, I, I want you to know there's a lot of preachers that get a criticism of talking about money all the time. I really don't do that. I piece the Bible all the time. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about financial maturity. And, um, you know, one of our prayers, one of our goals as a church is that we move towards financial maturity. And let me tell you what that looks like. That looks like in both individually and corporately as a body, we're going to give generously. You know, um, I am grateful for in my life that I had parents. My dad was a, was a high school tennis coach. So we weren't rolling in the dough at the wall household. My mom was a dental hygienist. Pretty good one. Everybody liked her dental hygiene work. She's, she retired at 83 as a dental, 84, I think, as a dental hygienist, which is crazy. But, um, but you know, we weren't rolling in the dough. But you know what? My, I watched my parents do in a moderate income, tithe and give. And they taught us that. I'm grateful. I'm, gr- I'm grateful Robin's parents, my, my in-laws, taught Robin how to give. That, we've taught our kids that the you can't outgive God, and you can't. And I pray that you learn that. Part of financial maturity is learning to give generously. We're, we're learning that individually and corporately. I want you to know that. Well, a second step of financial maturity is to save wisely. We should save money. You shouldn't spend everything you have at your house, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't spend everything you have at church. Did I say save or spend? You shouldn't spend everything you have at your house. You should save money. 
we should save as a church. Now, as a church, can I tell you what we've been doing over the last year? We, we, had a, we didn't know what COVID was going to do. We cut our budget pretty significantly. But in the midst of, of our budget, you have given over and above our, what our staff has spent, our church has spent. And do you know that even in this, <clears throat> this time of COVID, we've already put 3% back into savings as a church? And I, we, we've been uh, receiving gifts over and above our, our tithes, our normal expenses. But we should. I mean, honestly, I, I think that that's part of just saving wisely. Now, as a church, we don't save to retire someday. We save for future ministry. And that's very important. We save wisely. We live appropriately. And, and I'm grateful for our church. We're living within our means right now. And we are, are faithful to do that. And... Uh, and we need to keep moving in this direction. Now, now in 2020, when COVID happened, the man, we didn't know what was going on. We, we, we basically stopped all kinds of, you know, lots of things. But it's time to uh, move forward. In 2020, we had a couple of projects. We had a project that was on, on the, online, which was to renovate the Fellowship Hall in Tulsa at our Tulsa campus. God has moved in our church and we've expanded our reach and, and, and it's time to, to renovate the Fellowship Hall in Tulsa. That's a project that's on the books. That's part of our next steps as a church. Our, and, and, and it's time to take the pause button off that. Um, uh, you, know, you know what happened Wednesday night? Oh my goodness, Wednesday night? In Tulsa, we had dinner with the pastor for for the first time in Tulsa Wednesday night. And, and I got to use my Spanish, which was super cool, fun. And uh, for the first time ever, I articulated our vision statement in Spanish. It was kind of Spanglish, Stacey. I, I got to use both. I had to translate for myself. Um, but, uh, I messed up a couple times. But, but, but look, man, God has opened a door for us. And, and I look at how important it is for us to take care of, the, of that building we have in Tulsa. That's a project that's on our docket. A second project, and I'll tell you what, last service, I was speechless. I didn't know what to do. I, was, I got to this second project. I was talking about online ministry because we've learned during COVID how important um, online ministry is right now. We have people that are sick. I'll tell you what, I pray you, I'm going to ask you to pray for my cousin, Diana. Uh, she's, it's critical for her. She's on a ventilator. It's tough in our family. Right now, COVID is a reality that I, I don't, you know, we, we got to continue to work on online ministry. I was talking about this in the next service. And I don't know if you were here in Bible study at the last hour, but as I said, we need to update our online ministry, the whole power went out. And I thought, I, I, I thought everybody was messing with me. I, I said to Trevor, I go, did y'all do that on purpose? Are you kidding me? Because the whole lights went out. I was talking about we need to give towards lights and, and online ministry, and it's important, and then it went dark. And I, I didn't know what to say. I was like, they were messing with me. But, um, but, but the reality is we, that's a big part of our future outreach that we need to continue to develop. Uh, a third project that's very important is the renovation of this room. You know, we need, to, we need to update this room. You know, when, we, when I first got here, this was, uh, f- when we built this, way before I got here, this was supposed to be temporary space. But it, I don't know if you noticed, it's our permanent space, right? We're, we're, we're living here. 
And, uh, but we need to update some things like the stage and some different things, and it's just time to improve this, and, and that's a big project. And then signage. We need to put signs up. We need our community to know who we are. Now, here's why I've, I wanted to devote so much time to this for two reasons. One is I, it's time to restart our next steps, folks. Next steps, I love that term. We come up with that term here. Because as a church, we will always have a next step to take, right? Someday, like, like soon, we need to take a step, next step with children and students. But, but, in, but here's the reality. When I, last Sunday night, some heard me say, when I said, hey, look, we need to update our signage, and, and we, need to, uh, we need to update the look of our church, our logo, and, our, and, and we need to rally around the idea of the mission. Some people heard me say, I want to take Baptist out of our name. I, let, me, let me tell you something. I want, to, I want to just tell you, hear me. I do not want to stop being a Southern Baptist. Like, like, I was a Southern Baptist nine months before I was born. I became Southern Baptist. And I, I promise you, as a, I bleed Southern Baptist before, I was a Southern Baptist before I was a Christian. Now, I, I love being a Southern Baptist. I love my Southern Baptist pursuits. Now, let me tell you why. It's not because of my tradition, though it is my tradition. Um, I love our Southern Baptist identity because Southern Baptists, I know there's a lot of confusion and, and, and a lot of angst in the culture about Southern Baptists, but let me tell you what's amazing about Southern Baptists is that we are people of the book. And every time Southern Baptists have deviated from the Word of God, we've come back to the Bible every time. I love that identity. I love, when I, when I think about the Southern Baptist story, it is a, an incredible story of God for the last 175 years. Do you realize the Southern Baptists have been around 175 years? And that story is a beautiful story of God's correction, God's provision, God's um, direction in our lives. And so I, I love that identity. You know why else, why else I, I want to stay uh, tied to our Southern Baptist identity is because of our doctrine. Because if you, doctrine matters, and I believe churches must be clear about what they believe. And one of the problems that I see in our culture is there are many churches that aren't clear about what they believe. And, and I want us to stay very tied to our Southern Baptist identity because Southern Baptists articulate a very clear doctrine. So I want you to know that. Um, but let me tell you something. We need to unite our three campuses. Do you know that right now, our three campuses, we have the FB logo, looks like Facebook out there. That's cool. It's a cool little Facebook logo. You see it? You know that FB thing? And I like it. That's cool. But then we have on the bus, have you seen our bus? Our bus has the logo from, uh, from 2004 on the bus. So it's, and it's, it's cool, but it's from 2004. We, it's 2012, right? Um, and um, then in Tulsa, God has expanded our footprint, and we live in, now we're in Tulsa, and we're, we're putting that in Spanish, and historically, Calvary Baptist Church was there, but, but now they're part of us, and, and, and you know what? Um, 
it says Calvary on it, which we need to, doesn't connect with us right now. You know the greatest logo we have? The greatest look we have is the story that God wrote here called The Mission. That's our greatest look. That's our greatest logo. And one of the things that I want us to do, I don't normally spend like time on Sunday morning talking about a logo, but I think we need to unite all three of our campuses around that look. And that's something I, I think we need to do. But, but hear me, I don't want to not be Southern Baptist or take Baptist out of our name. We need a logo change. Now, the truth is, um, and I'm not going to be here much longer because then we're going to get into Ezra 8. But we need to move to financial maturity. Now, now some of you are, are living, like, like honoring the Lord with your finances in every way. That's awesome. Keep honoring the Lord with your finances. Some of us may not be. I would say some in the room aren't. Here's what I want to ask you to do to pray today. And let me just tell you where we're going to go for our invitation we need to be praying for our next steps corporately as a church. And I'm going to ask you to come and get on your knees and pray for our next steps. But can I ask you this question here? And here's where we're going to land today. Are you honoring the Lord with all he's given to you? Can you honestly say, look at your checkbook, look at your gifts, look at your life, and say, God, I am honoring you with all I have? and all I am. Well, we, that's where we need to be. Now, our church has already proven to ourselves that we can, we can build a $2.5 million building. You realize that five years ago when we built the mission, it was $2.5 million. And do you realize that our church paid cash for that? We didn't go into debt. And do you know that that's so important for us to, to realize? Because let me tell you, um, so many churches that I've seen, and I, this is, I've only been a senior pastor for years now. I was a youth minister for my whole life before that. But, but, you know, I've seen churches over and over again follow this pattern. They go into debt. They struggle to get out of debt. They finally get out of debt. They burn the note, and then they go back into debt. Right? Have you seen that pattern? Let's break, we've already proven we can break that pattern. We've already broken that pattern. But what we have to do is learn to pay for things in advance. Pay cash for things. Now, I know this is not normal. Because I know a lot of people go, oh, it's better to pay, uh, pay uh, interest over inflation. No, it's better to pay inflation. Let's just pay for it in advance. And that's, that's what we're, we need to do. And I know this is not the norm, but it needs to be our norm. And, and it's time to restart our next steps giving. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you ask the Lord what God could you, how God could use you to contribute in advance to our next steps? We're starting to give next week on this. And so I want to ask you to pray about it. Um, you know, um, I love it that God has put us that God is growing us to become financially mature. And so let's push one another to a continued posture of saying, Lord, teach us to both individually and corporately to give generously. 
to save wisely and to live appropriately. That's an unapologetic push that I want us to, I pray that we live out. Okay, now Ezra 8. Turn there, Ezra 8. So, um, you know, what's interesting about Ezra, um, Ezra was this man that watched the Lord do things that blew his mind. He watched the Lord keep prophecy. Now, uh, this is one of the reasons why I believe in God. I look at the Bible and I would say to anybody, you ought to follow Jesus, you ought to look at the Word of God. Because over and over again, you see these prophets that speak these truths that then come to pass. Ezra lived that out. He was watching Jeremiah 29.10 unfold right in front of his eyes. He was watching Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45 just come to pass right in front of him. And it's incredible. And, and, and it, what, what he was doing is he was seeing the Lord uh, just keep his word. And, and this is one of the reasons why we believe in the Lord. We trust the Lord. And, and, and Ezra was, was confident because he, in spite of all the cultural pressures, just like when you think about the, mul- the cultural pressures, the moral pressures, the political pressures, oh my goodness, Ezra was living it. He was completely living it with uh, Babylonia and, and the pressures that, that they had faced, he had seen. And, and you know what? He, he grew confident in God's God because God kept his word. Now, what I, what I think we need to realize as we look at the book of Ezra is God always keeps his word, and we need to know this. And, and, and this is something you can count on. And, and Ezra, you know what he was doing? He was kind of living his life in that strike zone of 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 looking where God was working and then joining in with the Lord. Henry Blackaby, there's a Bible study called Experiencing God written probably in the, in the 90s that, that is a really cool study you could look at and you could, uh, it, 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 it kind of hones in on this idea that we need to see where God's working and then join in with him. And that's what Ezra was doing. He was kind of living on that wave in that zone. And if you look at chapter 8, the first 14 verses you see here is that Ezra didn't go by himself. These were the people, because this is the second trip to, back to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem, and, and he's looking back. You've got to remember chapters 1 through 7, Ezra's looking back on 80 years prior that this generation before him had kept God's word, and now Ezra is coming on the second trip. And, and you see verses 14 who went 1 through 14, who went with them. And then 15 through 20 described the way Ezra responded when there were no Levites present. And that's interesting. We'll process. Uh, in, in 21 through 30, you see the preparations that were made. In verses 31 through 36, you see how God's people said, we're going to worship the Lord now because of all that God has, has done. But, but let's look at verse, verse 15 real quick. He says in, in Ezra 8, 15, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found that none of the sons, I found there none of the sons of Levi. You know, I want you to have this in your mind, especially later on in this message as we come into our invitation. But, But I think it's interesting that Ezra 8 points to the fact that no Levites were there. Now, we could just go, okay, well, they didn't, they didn't show up. But, but, but not having a Levite was a concern for Ezra. 
Well, think about that. Why? Well, who were the Levites? Well, the Levites were, were the priests. They were the ones of the, uh, you know, that, that were set aside to, to, to take care of the temple. And, and, and you know what's interesting is I dug into some commentators. They, they, they basically were pointing out that this was a time that the priests were rebellious. Now, the priest being rebellious, this is not the first time. Remember Korah's rebellion? Remember that with the time of Moses? Uh, that was when the priest rose up and rebelled against Moses, and a lot of them were killed that day. And, 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 um, and the Levites were, they had a really important role, but, but Ezra 8 points to the fact that the priests were being disobedient. A lot of, a lot of people say that, you know, because the Jews at this time were in Babylon and, and they were living and working and serving. And a lot of the priests were maybe bankers and, and, and they were successful in Babylon. But God told them to go to Jerusalem. And, and they were like, I don't know that I want to leave Babylon. My success is pretty good. This is why we got to be careful with success. And, and the, the, it's like the priests were they weren't wanting to come. They, they, they were being disobedient. And, but Ezra, he, he's like, look, we got to get some priests here. we got to get some Levites here. And, and he confronted people over and over again with their sin. And Ezra, he was a religious leader as well. But, but Ezra's like, hey, you, you better get here. Look at verse 18. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen. Also Hashbiah with him, Jeshiah, and the son of Moriah and his kinsmen and their sons, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. And Ezra calls Levites here. And now there's one big point I want us to catch today and something we've got to embrace. And it's this, that, that when you look at Ezra 8, we hear this call to join the work, join the Lord in his work with this uncompromising faith. And this is something I'm praying for me as, a, as your pastor, that Lord, give me an uncompromising faith. This is where I think that God's people were at the time of Ezra. They needed an uncompromising faith. And let me tell you something. This is what I think we need in our culture, an uncompromising faith in Christ. And you see this over and over again. And I, I, Look at verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him from, from, a, from a safe journey for ourselves and our children and all our goods. You know, what's interesting is, is God's people here, Ezra is like, we're going back to Jerusalem. And, and, and this is a dangerous journey. And, and, and there, there weren't, they, they had a lot of valuables. And you see what they took. It was very, very valuable. And they didn't have any state troopers to, to go along with them. They, no one had their concealed carry license, I guess, at this point. They, they didn't have any armed escorts to go with them. They said, look, we're going to seek the Lord for a safe journey. And they had all these funds, and they had all these, uh, these gifts that were given to them. And look at verse 22. He, Ezra says, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we told the king, the hand of our God is, is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Now, now let's think about this. I think we need to pay close attention to Ezra 20, 
8.22. Because there's, there's some critical theology in this passage. And it's not just in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. It's evident all through the Bible. Notice verse 22. Ezra says, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. You know, this is important because the priests at this time were forsaking the Lord. Some of them, they weren't coming. There were people still of God's people that were forsaking the Lord and not fulfilling, not being a part of this prophecy of of Jeremiah 29, 10. And Ezra's like, we got to go. We got to go do this and, and let's go. And, he's, and he's, he's saying this, he's articulating this incredible theology that, look, if you honor the Lord, God's going to protect you. If you forsake the Lord, that's a bummer. That's going to produce difficulty in your life. It's why rebellion is costly for us. Let's never be a church that rebels against God. I don't want to do that. And you shouldn't either. And, and this you know, it's very important to, to recognize that this isn't just an Old Testament con- concept. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's Old Testament law. You got you to gotta do what's right. But what about Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 7, I've mentioned several times, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came, the winds blew, it beat against that house, and it did not fall. But if you hear these words of mine and you do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the winds blew, it beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We see these principles over and over again that that we need to honor the Lord. For God's people especially, we need to honor the Lord. Think about 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So you see in Ezra this important principle, this important theological stance of, hey, look, we got to honor the Lord, and when we do, when we honor the Lord, God blesses and God protects and God leads. If you dishonor the Lord, you're going to stumble. And, and we got to hear that. Now, here's what we know, and and we see this in Ezra, spiritual disciplines build strength. And this is why as a believer, I know this message, this whole day is really for believers. And if you're lost today, if you don't know Christ today, I, I want you to know it's not about being more moral. You need Christ in your life. But those of us that have come to know Christ, we need to grow up in our spiritual disciplines. Because spiritual disciplines build strength. Look at verse 23. So we fasted, and we implored our God for this, and look at this, he, in, he listened to our entreaty. God hears us when we pray. There's a reason right now, one of my convictions as your pastor is about a year and a half or two years ago, I could not identify a moment on our calendar, our church calendar, where all we did was pray. And I thought, you know what, that's a problem. And so we took Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30, and for the last two years, we've been meeting and praying for six, from 6.30 to 7.30. 
And I've had some people say, well, shouldn't you, you're the pastor, shouldn't you be preaching, teaching a class or something? No, I think we need to be praying. I think we need to be praying. You ought to join us. It's in room eight something over there. It's right across from the bathroom. I shouldn't, I've been here nine years. I still don't know the room number, but it's up there across from the bathroom on the second floor. You ought to come, 6.30 Wednesday nights. Disciplines, spiritual disciplines, like, like fasting. Now, we don't like that in Baptist life. We, we get sad. We make a casserole, right? We make some brownies. Um, but the Bible talks about, hey, we ought to learn to, Ezra fasted. You know, di- spiritual disciplines, you know what they do? They strengthen your relationship with God. I want to challenge you to know, to, to learn spiritual disciplines. Giving strengthens your relationship with God. Praying strengthens your relationship with God. Bible study strengthens your relationship with God. You know what else it does? Spiritual disciplines, it, uh, it strengthens your effectiveness in the spiritual battle. Look, we're in a spiritual battle. And, and, and when we are disciplined spiritually, that makes us more effective. And, and you know what else it does? Spiritual disciplines, it helps us make better decisions. Shoot, I want to make some good decisions as, as a leader, as your pastor, as a, as a follower of Christ. And this is what spiritual disciplines do. And Ezra, you know what he's showing us, that spiritual disciplines build strength. He's also showing us that, that repentance is a lifestyle. He's pushing people, get right with the Lord. And that's why, even though it's a, a day that is not normal for us, I don't spend too much time, this much time talking about money. But let me tell you something. Um, you know, look, repentance. We need to get right with the Lord with that. Some of you are living like in a way that honors God. But some of you just need to get right with the Lord in your life. And I'd be no kind of pastor if I didn't get up and say, hey, you need to be right with the Lord. Goodness gracious, I don't want to give an account for that. I better be right with the Lord. I better not be one of these priests, these leaders that are disobedient. I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. But, but look, this repentance. These, these people are getting right with the Lord. Look at verse 24. I, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests. He set them apart. He prayed over them. He, he anointed them. He, 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 he set them apart. That's what that idea is. Then everyone's getting right with the Lord, including the priests. That's something to notice here. Also, I want you to see, and you can see this. The, you see that financial maturity is evident here. There's all kinds of evidence of financial maturity. Look at verse 25. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels worth 200 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 100 derricks, 200 vessels, and two vessels of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy. The silver and the gold, look at this, are a freewill offering to the Lord. 
the God of your fathers. You see people, uh, get, not only is Babylon providing these things, you see free will offerings coming in. People are giving of, 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 their, of their resources and of themselves to say, look, let's, let's put this in the temple. Let's restore the temple. Verse 29, guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem with the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of silver and the gold vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of God. So they're loaded with cash here. Look, this is like incredibly valuable. And look at verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And notice this, the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemies and from the ambushes by the way. Now, now look, they trusted the Lord and God delivered them and God's gonna do that with us too. We look at the culture, we look at the moral decline, we look at the political craziness in our world and, and God's prepared us for the moment. God's prepared us for these days. And, and they're protected from ambushes along the way. We came to Jerusalem, verse 32. And, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day with the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of the Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, no, 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 that guy, uh, the son of that guy, uh, who was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. And then verse 35 through 36, they worshiped and they sacrificed to the Lord. And they said, God, you have moved among us. You know what God's people are doing here? God's people are coming together. And this is the beauty of, of what happens when God's people come together and the temple was built and the temple was restored. God's people came together. And you know what that meant? That meant that all these people start seeing who God is. I want you to notice something in verse, in, in the, in verse 35. I want you to see it. It says, in that time, those who had come from captivity, the, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And look at verse 36. They also delivered the king's commission to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. I love that. It's God's people that they, they aided the people. And you know, when I think about our church, I want to be a part of a church that is known for aiding this community. That's why with, without apology, those that come here that speak Spanish, that don't know English, I want them to see our church as one that will aid them. People in this community that don't have groceries or senior adults that don't know how to have, they have to decide between medicine or food. I want to be a church that aids them. Folks, we have a responsibility. And you know what happens when God's people come together? That, that John 17, 20, 21 thing happens. You know what that is? John 17, that, that John 17, 20, and 21 thing? When Jesus, John 17 is so cool. He, Jesus, in that prayer, prays for himself, prays for his disciples, then he prays for us. You know what he says? You know what he prays in verse 20 and 21? My prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We are the ones that believed in Jesus through the message of the disciples. And then you know what Jesus prayed? That they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world would believe that you sent me. You know what? God's called us to be so faithful, to be so united that the world would believe Christ is who he says he is. That's why we unite with other churches. That's why we unite with like-minded believers. We're not the only strong church on the playground here in Tulsa and Owasso. Hey, but let me tell you something. We're one of them. And we're going to be strong. We're going to be faithful. Now, and I want you to remember something. Remember Ezra 8. Notice this. Don't miss this. One of the big messages in Ezra 8 is that the priests were disobedient. Remember that? The Levites were disobedient. Boy, we got to lean into that for a second. You might be sitting here going, well, hey, Chris, I'm no priest. I'm no preacher. Is that really for me? That's for you, big boy. It is for me. But it's also for you. I want you to remember what, what Exodus 19.6 says. Exodus 19.6, that's where God reminded the people of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Okay, see, the Levites definitely had responsibility in the temple. But all of God's people were called to point the world to a Savior. You know what? I want to remind you of 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, every one of us that know Christ as our Savior have been called out of darkness into light. And do you know that we are called to be a, a people, a body that points the world to a Savior? And that's why it's right for us to have a focused purpose statement to love all people to Christ to equip them on their journey with God and one another. And I'll tell you, we're not going to be able to argue this world to Christ. But you know what? We can love them like nobody else. We can love our enemies like nobody else. We can do good to those who persecute us. And that's not something that anybody else does. But let me tell you something. We're called to serve the Lord here. And God has blessed us. God has moved us to expand, not just into Tulsa, into Owasso, but now we reach out to all the rural areas around here. Do you realize that God has entrusted our church with a rural, suburban, and an urban 
focus? Oh my goodness. Praise the Lord. And oh my goodness, how do we do that? Let's figure it out. You realize that God's opened a door for us in English and Spanish? Praise the Lord. Let's go figure that out. You know what we had to do Wednesday night? I'm sitting there busting out my best Spanish Wednesday night. And I did pretty good. I was pumped. Misael said I did good. I was good enough for me. And, and Misael had to remind me, hey, there's two English speakers here, Chris. You got to shift to English. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, so then I said, well, here's what I said, kind of. And, uh, man, it was so fun trying to figure that out. Hey, God didn't call us to easy, but God called us here. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. I, I've gone, I tricked you because I've preached longer today, but we, I made Joe cut a song, okay? But we need to respond to the Lord. Can I ask you to seek the Lord about our next steps as a church? Can I ask you to join us in that prayer? Can I, can I push you without apology? I'm never going to apologize for this push. Can I push you and push me, because I'm pushing me too, to ask the Lord, Lord, am I honoring you? with all you've given me and all I am, not just my checkbook, but my life. I dare you, I challenge you to pray that. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask some of you to come get on your knees and start praying for our church. You may, you may be here and you don't know Christ as your savior. Oh, let me tell you something. You need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. Because giving your money is going to do jack squat for you when it comes to eternity. You need Jesus. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money. God wants you. And God's brought you here. Maybe if you're, if you're here and you don't know Christ, oh, he, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, God's love is greater. God's forgiveness is greater than every sin you've ever made, every failure you've ever had. God's grace is greater. And it's only in Christ that you'll have hope. You know why we're, we're not paralyzed? Because of Diana right now and my family? Because we know she knows Christ. And I don't know if this is going to be her last breath. I don't know. But hey, I'll tell you what, we don't have, we're not hopeless. And that's what happens when Christ comes into your life. Do you know Jesus? Oh, you gotta know Jesus. I pray you know Jesus. Those that do, let's go to Jesus and say, Lord, am I honoring you with all I have? with all I am, even if you're online today. Ask the Lord that. Let's pray for our church today.
Let's pray for our next steps today. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. I thank you for this day and this calling in this place. Lord, lead us. Use us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our